Well, if you have your Bibles, take them and turn, if you would, in the New Testament to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. If you don't have them, there's some under your seats, or it's going to be on the screens. Thanks for all of you who are watching on live stream, and all of you who are in the room. We're in the midst of a series called Origins, and we're taking a a look at the foundation of our faith and exploring what it means uh, to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Uh, Last week, if you were here, uh, we talked about the church And the calling of the church, uh, that it wasn't just a place that you come and gather, but it was actually a people. There was this new community that the church is you and me, those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus, that we are the church and we come to gather in this place and then we go forth, hopefully to go out and change the world. But the problem is today, nine out of 10 churches in America are in decline. Nine out of 10, which is a pretty sobering thought. And when you begin to think about that, Uh, We looked back and and understood that many of them had lost their way. They had forgot that uh, there was a calling in Matthew 28 that Jesus took these 11 ordinary guys, broken, enslaved to their own sin, betrayers of Jesus, and said, hey, I'm going to build my church through you, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to go uh, to all nations. I want you to go make disciples. I want you to change the world. We saw that the church, uh, those that prevail would be a a church of action. And then we went to Acts 2, and it said there was this great movement as Peter began to preach, and and people came to know who Jesus was, and they devoted themselves to one another and to all that was being taught, and they sacrificed. And we said if their church was going to excel in this day and age, or a church that was going to prevail, it would be a church of three characteristics. It would be a church of action, a church of devotion, and a church of sacrifice. That if we were going to be the one out of the ten that would move forward and hopefully change the world, that we would be a church of action and devotion and sacrifice. And I started thinking about that word excel and what it means to excel in this place as God's people. Uh, The definition of excel is this. It is to surpass others or be superior in some respect or area to do extremely well. And that wouldn't be for our glory, but it would be for God's. It wouldn't be for us, but it would be for those who are outside these walls that need to understand the hope and the knowledge of who Jesus is, and our lives would be different, and we would be a church that would excel, or we would be a church that would prosper as we look forward. And I was thinking about some of the people in our lives and our world that today are, are excelling in their areas of giftedness. And many of them we know, but I want to just highlight a few of them for you. One of those guys um, that I love basketball and I love watching play basketball right now is Steph Curry. And Steph Curry is excelling in basketball. He had a record of uh, three-pointers at 372 a few years back uh, in the NBA, and he broke that record um, at 286, excuse me, it was 272, and they broke it at 286, then he broke it again this year, and there's still two months left. He has already over 290, and he's moving way ahead. Nobody's even close to this guy. He is excelling, and I love watching him. If you don't know, he uh, stopped his deal with Nike, and he went with armor, under armor, is that what it's called? Under armor, and they uh, engraved his shoe with a scripture verse, because Nike wouldn't do it, that says, I can do all things. And that is pretty cool, and he is excelling in what he's doing. And uh, he's a great guy to watch. I don't even like the Golden State Warriors, but man, they are fun to watch. Second guy changed our life in many ways because uh, he's uh, Bill Gates, and he is the co-founder of Microsoft. And as you look, he's one of the world's wealthiest men, and he developed one of the premier software companies and computer companies in the world, and uh, he is now, part of him and his wife are giving away as much money as they possibly can with this group of people, but he excelled in an area, and he changed our world. 
Another person that changed our world by who she was and what she gave um, is this lady that's on the screen. Mother Teresa. Uh, she founded the Missionaries of Charity, which consists of around 4,500 people that worked in this organization throughout 133 countries. And they run hospices that care for people with HIV and leprosy and tuberculosis. This little lady from the middle of nowhere in India won a Nobel Peace Prize for who she was and how she sacrificed herself and she excelled in this area of giving. And then in my profession, there are many people that do great work, but there are very few that build prevailing churches that change the world. But right down the street, there's a man by the name of Rick Warren that built a church that has changed the world. Um, not only do I respect him as a leader, I respect him as a pastor, and I respect what he stands for. But out of that, when we talk about someone who has excelled, um, he excels in this area of giving. And he gives away 90% of all he makes, and he lives off 10%. And when he uh, became a New York Times bestseller, um, God really convicted on his heart for him to do that. And you would say, well, if I had that much money, I would do it too. No, you wouldn't. <laughs> Because what you need to know is, when he had nothing, he was a man that was giving. Because you never can become a person when you have a lot that gives. And statistics show the poorer you are, the more people give. The rich you are, the less you give. But I respect him greatly. Doesn't take a paycheck from his church. Doesn't need to now. But he gives away 90% of what God has blessed him with. And he excels. Paul comes to this church in Corinth. And they're a church that uh, begins to, to start this new movement. And he was calling them out and calling them to a different level in their lives. He was calling them what we might call in this day and age, uh, and we have a value around here called radical generosity. And we believe on our staff and our church that we would be people that would, would begin to give out of gratitude by holding nothing back. That we would be people that would, people would look in at us and go, man, you guys are crazy. But we would go, yeah, we probably are. But something's happened to us, that Jesus transformed our lives. And we are people that radically give of our time and our talents and our treasure. And Paul begins in this section in, in uh, chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians, and, and he starts to set this church up. In 1 Corinthians 14, if you go back, you'll see that he is uh, beginning to collect some money for the churches that are in Jerusalem. And they're having a hard time, and he's going around, and he's gathering some finances, and he begins with these people with the story of what's going on with the churches in Macedonia. So verse 1, read with me, chapter 8, he says this. He says, and now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. So let me just stop right there. He said, there is this grace that's been pretty amazing. Grace is unmerited favor to the churches up north. So Macedonia was the northern part of Greece, and there was churches like Thessalonica and Brea and Philippi, and they were in the north, and Corinth was down in the south. So he comes and he says, hey, listen, church of Corinth, there's these people up north that are just doing some unbelievable things. It would be like somebody coming and saying, listen, Southern California, you're not going to believe what's going on up in Sacramento and San Jose and Los Gatos. There's something happening, and God's grace is falling on that place. And Paul says, listen... Something's happening, and the grace of God is doing something, and he has given them something. And then he says, here's kind of the people that I'm dealing with in the north. Here's what's going on. Verse 2, in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much 
as they were able and beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the Lord's people. So he said, hey, here's the people up north. Man, they're going through it. They are in a severe trial. But guess what? They're overflowing with this unbelievable joy in the midst of that. They aren't rich. In fact, they're completely opposite. They are extremely poor. But they have given in rich generosity. And Paul says, you won't believe it. If I would testify on my life, it is unbelievable what they are doing amidst their severe trial. They have this unbelievable joy that's supernatural. And with absolutely hardly any money, they're giving away everything that they have. In fact, I told them, you don't need to give. We need to be giving to you. But they said, no, man, we find it a privilege. One of your texts says uh, that they were imploring with us, which means that the Macedonians were actually begging Paul to give because it was a privilege. Paul was not begging them for money. They were telling him, we want to give. That's a preacher's dream. When people come up and say, hey, we got money. We just want to get rid of it. And Paul goes, you wouldn't believe it if you saw it. But the grace of God fell on them amidst their poverty. And there was a mighty supernatural movement happening. Another way of saying it is they took a risk with their money. They had determined that it was God's, and they took a risk. Luke 21, Jesus said it like this, verse 1 through 4. As Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. And truly, I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people, they gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she gave it out of her poverty, and she put in all that she had to live on. And what Jesus was saying, it's not an issue with the money, because she didn't give that much, but guess what? She gave everything, because it was all that she had. And the heart of the matter was the surrendered heart that the widow had, because Jesus didn't really care about the money. But he looked at her heart, and he said, this lady is unbelievable. And Paul was saying the same thing. And then he commends them in verse 5 back in chapter 8, and he says this, Hey, they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God, they gave themselves to us. Two things right there. First, they gave themselves over to the Lord. It's like when we dedicated these children, the first thing we said was out of Deuteronomy, that love the Lord your God with all your soul, with all your heart, with all your mind. That was saying, I am surrendering everything to God, including these children that he has given me to steward. And Paul was saying, first of all, their relationship was right with God. And when your relationship is right with God and you are giving God everything, when you give of your time and your talent, your treasure, it is a privilege and it is not a burden. And you realize that you are a part of something greater than yourselves and you are affecting the kingdom of God. And he said, first of all, let's get in the order right. You have to give yourself over to God. And then they were able to give freely and bless other people. That's why I think just one page over in, your, in my Bible, in, in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7, it says, each of you should give what you decided. Whatever your heart says, you're to give. Not reluctantly or out of compulsion, but God loves a cheerful giver because he understands that when you're surrendered to him, it comes from a heart of grace and a heart of love. And Paul says, they exceeded our expectations, and verse 6 and, six and 7 says this, so we urge Titus, and Titus was delivering this message just as he had heard earlier, made a beginning, 
to bring about to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith and in speech and in knowledge and in complete earnestness, he says, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you excel, you might want to underline this phrase, in this grace of giving. Paul's kind of a little sarcastic in this section. He said, hey, since you excel in, in knowledge and speech and all that stuff, which I don't think they were people that were excelling very much in that, but he says, since you do that, let me tell you, I want you to put your money where your mouth is because we're going to be able to measure this. We want you to excel in this grace of giving. They might have had an idea to give. They might have thought about big, big giving, but he said, we got to go beyond that. Have you ever thought about giving and the word grace going together? that you would excel in this grace of giving, that when you give of your time, your talent, your treasure, that you're doing something beyond just an act of giving, that you are sharing this unmerited favor of God. And Paul calls them to a commitment to say, hey, would you excel in this grace? When you put those two words together, it, it, it helps us understand that it's not a duty, it's not out of obligation, it's out of some pastor coming up and coercing you or guilting you, it's out of the word of God that says there is grace, that God would use what you have in your time and your talent and your treasure for his glory, because when we give, in essence, we are giving the grace of God, and we are showing the beauty of what Jesus Christ did at dying on a cross for you and for me. But here's what I know about excelling in this grace of giving. It will take great attention for you to live intentionally. It will take great intention for you to live intentionally, that you would intentionally begin to live as givers of your time and your treasure and talent will take attention. Because you just don't naturally do it. Naturally, we hang on. And what he was saying is good intentions won't cut it. But giving is a work of God's grace in us. And God begins to change us as we give. And so Paul says here, let me just put it this way, verse 8 and 9. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. He says, look, I'm not going to command you, but I am going to test you. That these people who are really, really poor, <laughs> they're given a lot. So I'm testing you right now that Jesus Christ gave everything for you. And because of his death, he came from heaven where he was rich to an earth and he became man. And he went to utter poverty and he was bankrupt as he died on a cross for your life and for mine. And he says, that is the ultimate example. And he said, so let me test you, church. Are you serious about this grace of giving? And will you excel in it. I think it's pretty pertinent for us today. And here's what I want you to know. If you wrap up the sermon in this one sentence, it would be this. When you excel in the grace of giving, you extend the grace of God. And when you excel in the grace of giving, you actually extend the grace of God, which brings hope and changes the world. See, when you excel in the grace of giving, you will overwhelm people with God's grace because when you're not expecting anything in return, they can't believe that you would actually do something like you're doing. When they see things happen that requires you to sacrifice, and when we come together as a church and the world sees something different, they can't figure out what is going on. What is going on is when you excel in the grace of giving, you are extending the grace of God. 
But you have to get something straight in your own life before that can ever happen. And it's this question. What is yours to own? Or what is just yours to steward? See, most of us look at everything that we have that we own it. It's ours. We tell you before, those babies that were up here, nobody has to tell them to say the word no, and nobody has to tell them to say the word mine. Because it's all mine. And God says, let me just get your mind straight here. What is yours to own? Or what is just yours to steward? One of my favorite scriptures is 1 Chronicles 29, verse 11 and 12. For yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything. Say that word with me. Everything. You didn't say it like you meant it. Everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. Yours are as exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor, they come from you. You are the ruler of all things. And in your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. So everything is God's. Which means when we excel in this grace of giving, we are a reflection of our heavenly Father. Man, one word I would love to describe me when I die would be that word generous. That I would be a generous person of my time, my talent, and my treasure. I think my kids might look at me and say I was generous. They seem to ask for a lot of money all the time. <laughs> but you know that generosity is one of the greatest keys to unlocking the door for you to become more like Jesus Christ? Jesus once asked, and it was written down in Mark, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet lose his soul? You know why I think those rich people like Bill Gates and Warren Buffett and all those people are looking around and they have so much money and now they've decided to give like, you know, whatever percent away is because I think once they accumulated it, they went, this is it. And we all know wealth brings us great comfort and that's awesome. But when they got it, they're like, okay, now what? And when you give, I just want to tell you, there's something that happens inside of you that the grace of God has seen and he uses you in ways you can never imagine. So let me ask you this question. How can you handle your money in such a way that it actually tells a story of your love for your God? Huh. Or the way you're handling your money right now, is it telling a story of how you love your God? You know, in, in this position, I, I get the privilege to see a, a lot of things, good and bad. And being in this church now for uh, 24 years, uh, I've had uh, amazing privileges. And I just want to see, uh, how many of you are new to the church within the last 10 years? Will you raise your hand and just keep it up? Last 10 years. Thanks. When I became senior pastor 12 years ago, those that are here kind of know this, but you new people don't. Um, when I was meeting with the elders, and, and we started talking about this place. Uh, you know, there, there were about $14 million short, I think, in the building. And um, I remember when they told me that number and, and asked me if I would consider coming to be the pastor, I was like, holy cow, $14 million. And I remember um, saying no. I remember saying, yeah, I can't do that. <laughs> and you know why? Because that number freaked me out. 
14 million short, it would cost seven to tear it down or 14 to build it. And, and they didn't like my answer, so they told me to go pray another week. Uh, so I went and prayed a little bit. And, and I remember God just impressing on my heart. He just said, Matthew, I own everything. It's all mine. Now, all those people in your church, they have it, but I own it. This isn't about you. It's about me. And I remember that I came back and I changed my mind because I wanted to be part of a God story. And I'll remember exactly where I was. I was driving over the railroad tracks at Imperial Highway in La Palma. And I remember driving over those tracks and I was riding with a friend and I said, hey, um, I'm going back. And um, I think I have a plan. <laughs> I think in the first 90 days we want to raise $7 million uh, before we tell the congregation that we're $14 million short because if we could raise... <laughs> Seven million, they would at least have a little glimmer of hope. But if I go and tell them we're 14 million short and uh, we got to raise it, uh, a bunch of them would walk out the door. So I said, let's uh, raise uh, seven million in 90 days. And he goes, how are you going to do that? And I said, I have absolutely no idea, but I'm starting with you. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, a few days later, gathered some guys and he called and said, I think we got about 3.5 million. Let's go. And I remember that moment like, I'm going to be a part of a God story. And this church, these people, there's some in this room at all of our service that excel in this grace of giving, and you sit here today because of that. You sit here because God moved in their hearts and they said, you know what, I'm going to give back what God's already given to me. And when I walk in this building and at this service or at Christmas Eve or at Easter and I sit over here in my little seat and I see a bunch of people in here, um, you know what I know? I got to be a part of it too. I didn't give no 3.5 million. I was like the widow's mite. I probably bought that seat over there. But I, uh, I gave. And I give. And I have seen God's grace be extended to me over and over in ways that I could sit up here all day and tell you stories. But in the book of 2 Corinthians, Paul said this, remember, whoever sows sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously, you're going to reap generously. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or other compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. He's able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, you're going to have all that you need. You will abound in every good work. It is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. And what he was saying is sowing is a process and you need to start moving in a right direction. And as it is a process, some of us know you're reaping right now what you have sowed. And it's a direct result of what you've sown for years. And some of you have never, ever stepped into this area of excelling in the grace of God and giving. And I just want to encourage you today to step in. And between you and God... It's not what you have, but it's how you steward what you have. Sowing is always about the ultimate, never the immediate. And so I ask, if my life's going to tell a story, if my giving is going to tell a story, I pray that the story is not just for here and now, but it is for eternity. That I'm making a difference in eternity. So here's what I say. It's going to take great attention and intentionality. You need to come up with a plan. Because if you don't have a plan to give, you're not going to give. 
You might have good intentions like the church in Corinth, but that's why Paul came and said, hey, I want you to excel in this grace of giving because when you excel in the grace of giving, you extend the grace of God. And so some of you have a, don't have a plan. Can I ask you to have a plan? And the hardest plan for some of you is you've never given anything to God. So to move from nothing to just 1%, that might be your step today. Some of you have been given to God the same amount for years. Maybe you move up a percentage. Percentage is a lot easier. Just move a percent. In our family, we just have made a plan. And the plan is we give everything first to God. That's the plan. No matter what comes in, it all goes first. I have it easier because I have a paycheck that comes from the church and I get to give it back to the church. So it's just taken out of my check. And I've told you that before. But I wanted to instill it in my kids. So this last week, my son's 16. He got a little job and he came in and he made 60 bucks in one night. So he walked in. It was about 11 o'clock. I was laying in bed and he walked in our bedroom and I said, uh, hey, Nolan, how'd it go? He went, great. I go, how much you make? He's like, 60 bucks. I'm like, cool. It's like, what are you going to do with the first $6. And he pulled out his wallet and he walked around the bed and he handed me a five and a one. I guess he thought just giving it to the pastor was the right thing to do, so he just <laughs> gave it to the pastor. <laughs> and I let him give it to me. But you know what it was? It was the act of him doing it first before he went and spent something else. So the six bucks, it's a lot easier when you only made 60 to give six, isn't it? And that was a tenth. The Old Testament teaches a tenth. New Testament teaches generosity. It's from a heart of love. But I'll remember this as long as I live. My parents never really talked about tithing. Just every Saturday night, I've told you this before, they just put their tithe check right on the corner of the kitchen counter. And it had tithe written in the bottom little note. And when I'd get up on Sunday morning, there it sat for me to see. And so we have a system. I don't know what it is for you to excel in generosity, but you got to start somewhere. As I look at this church, and I look at what God wants to do in and through us, Matthew 6, 21, Jesus said these words, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So I want to challenge you. And as Paul said, I want to test your sincerity of your love for God. And here's what I want to do. Because some of you have a hard time with pastor asking for money and separating the church and me. So um, this doesn't change my life or my job or anything if you give. I don't want this from you. I've said it before. I want it for you. And if there's a better place to give that's doing greater kingdom impact, give there. If that's what God tells you to do, give where God tells you to give. Because he's taken care of this church for 103 years, and he's going to continue to take care of it. But here's what I believe. Scripture says this. Um, the church will prevail, and the gates of hell will not stand against it. I believe in the local church. See, it was the local church where I found Jesus Christ. On a Friday night, I walked down a center aisle, and I knelt at an altar, and I prayed to receive Jesus Christ. It was at the church where I learned what it meant to actually forgive someone who hurt you. It was at the church where I was able to bring my friends and let them hear the message and the hope of Christ. It was at my church at a public high school that I was able to bring the guys that played with me in this band, and the church funded us to go on a tour for two weeks in the summer when I was 14 years old. It was the church that sent me on my first missions trip to understand what the rest of the world was like. 
It was the church that employed both my brothers as pastors. It was church that employed my mom to be the janitor so she could pay my way through school at college at Azusa Pacific University because she cleaned the toilets at the church. It was the church that was the foundation for my family. And I believe when your local church is strong, your community is strong, and your nation is getting stronger, and I believe the hope of the world is in the church because this is Jesus Christ's one and only plan. And so I don't have a better place to give than the church. And it's not because I go here. It's because it's Jesus' church, and it's not mine, and it's not yours, and it's going to live on way past us. But he called us to steward this season. And when we excel in the grace of giving, we extend the grace of God. And this church, for 103 years, has been a church full of life changers. And I just think the best is yet to come. And Paul says, listen, will you just consider being people that excel in the grace of giving? Because when you do that, you actually are extending the grace of God and people have a chance to know Jesus. Will you stand with me? God, we thank you for who you are in this place and we thank you for this church that is full of radically generous people. That, God, they have been compelled and moved by your spirit, and uh, they give freely to you and your work. Thank you, God, that all around the world, people's lives are different because of people giving here. And so now we ask that as we go, Father, that this is between, really, each person here and you. And I pray, Father, that as we look at the church, we would be one of action and devotion and sacrifice. So, Father, uh, speak to all of us in this area, whatever it might be, that we reflect you and have a greater chance to become more like you when we are willing to give our time and our talent and our treasure. And, Father, it shares a story. And I pray that story lives on for eternity. So thank you for your word. Thank you for this great place and great people. And we ask your blessing on them today as they go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Before you walk out today, uh, we want to let you know that we know that some of these areas are tough and, and some of you need help. And we have what's called Financial Peace University. As you exit, uh, they're going to give you this. If you are interested, April 4th is an information meeting. Then we have an eight-week course to help you get out of debt, manage your money, how uh, you can walk with God in your finances. Take a look at that. Rooted. If you haven't signed up for Rooted, you're missing it. Thanks to you 1,400 people who have walked through it and are wrapping up. But go sign up. The new uh, session starts in April. Love for you to do that. People will be down front for prayer. Love to see you in Guest Central. Have a great gift for those of you who are visiting. Thanks for being here. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.